All right, good morning, Crossroads. Wow. We are ready to go. We are ready to go this year. All right. Hey, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us today. Uh, before we jump into the message, I got a couple quick announcements, and one of them has to do with an insert in your, in your packet, if you'd pull that out. Uh, we, I don't know if you noticed this video that we play almost every week before someone gets up to, to teach God's Word, but it's about our vision or our God-sized goal that we want to see our community transformed by 2,000 people being in small groups by the year 2030. Now, that's an incredible goal. Would you agree? But we believe in that because we know the power of small groups to transform people's lives. It was the method that Jesus used to train and develop 12 disciples who would go on and change the world. And we still believe that small groups are the place where God can radically transform our lives. And if he transforms our lives, we're going to transform our community. And so we're, just, we're not just a church that has small groups. We are a church that believes in small groups, that are built on small groups. And so in your, in your packet there, we have, an, we have a, uh, a little insert. We want to make it super easy for you to get involved in a small group and, and just in, enjoy a year of following God, maybe like never before. And so if you've got this, this is so cool. What we're going to ask you to do, if, you, if you're already in a small group or if you've never tried a small group at Crossroads, we want everybody in our church to re-sign up or sign up for a small group uh, in the month of January. And so all you have to do is scan this little QR code. How cool is that? It takes you to our website. It lists all the small groups we offer. Uh, who leads them, where they meet, when they meet, what they're studying. And you can just click on that group and say, sign me up, and, and you'll, get a, you'll be contacted by the group leader. So can we do that? Can all of us just take a minute to go ahead and sign up to be a part of a small group this year? I promise you, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. All right. Uh, Penny believes that. Now... We're going to keep talking about small groups all month uh, because we believe it's that important. And we want everyone, as we're relaunching small groups, because all these groups are starting over, uh, we're going to be talking about groups and give you a chance to get in one this month. But I also want to give an announcement uh, that uh, um, some of you might know, most of us don't, and that is that Eric Dillingham, who's not here, he's at a, he's at a different location today. He has actually accepted a call, our student pastor, to be a student pastor or a middle school pastor at a church in, uh, in Tennessee. And so... Uh, we're going to miss them, but Eric and Sarah has, have gotten God's next assignment in their life, and they're going to gain. And so we want to give you an opportunity to say goodbye to them. <clears throat> and so next Sunday, he'll be back here. Wednesday night, he'll be back here for youth group. But next Sunday, we're going to have a reception after church, just a, you know, a little finger food and some drinks and, and give you a chance to stop by and, and wish them the best and, and uh, let them know how much we love them. So uh, we are looking for the new person for our youth ministry and just pray that if you'll join us in prayer that God would lead us to exactly who he wants to be leading that, uh, that group. So uh, let's start a new series today. It's called People God Uses. And if we think about the people that God uses, oftentimes we think about the heroes, we think about the superstars of the faith, the people that really knocked it out of the park, whether in the Bible or from church history. And if, and if you're thinking about the great ones, you've got to put Moses on that list, right? I mean, Moses would be up there. If you're drafting your Bible fantasy team, if you're drafting your Bible fantasy team, Moses is probably a first-round pick. I mean, Old Testament, he's up there with Esther and Elijah and David. I mean, he's right at the top of the list of the Old Testament superstars. And, and the reason we think of Mo so highly of Moses is, I mean, 
God did some incredible things to this man. He, he spoke to Moses through a burning bush. Could you imagine? He spoke to Moses through a burning bush. And he sent him to go and bring the Israelites out. And so he had to confront the most powerful human on the face of the earth at the time. That was Pharaoh. And, and, and he stood up to Pharaoh. And, and God used him in that regard. And then he leads them out of Egypt. And they're backed up against the Red Sea. And it seems like all's lost as the armies of Egypt are bearing down on the Israelites. And God tells Moses and uses Moses to literally part the Red Sea. And they go across on dry ground. And God uses Moses to lead millions. He gives them of, of Israelites in the wilderness for years, for decades. He gives them the Ten Commandments. Moses is the man that goes and meets with God and receives the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And Moses is God's man that he would meet with them in the tent of meeting. And Moses would speak to God like you and I talk to each other. Now, that's a pretty impressive resume, isn't it? And when we think about Moses, we think of all those things. But I think sometimes what we fail to recognize are the shortcomings of Moses, the, the issues he had, the failures that he had, the things that could have prevented him from being used by God. And I would submit to you that the things we're going to study in this series that were the shortcomings of Moses are the very same things that, that could so easily prevent you and I from being used by God. They're the same things. And maybe you've thought to yourself, God can't use me. Maybe you're there now. What I want to do is let's look together at the people that God uses. You might be surprised. So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 2. And I told you a little bit of, Mo of um, the story of Moses. But just to set the context early in his story that the Israelites were still in slavery in Egypt. And they were becoming far too numerous. And so Pharaoh issued a decree to the midwives that any male Israelite born in Egypt was to be killed. The, the midwives were to kill him. And the, Israelite, the midwives, because they feared God, refused to obey Pharaoh's order and did not kill the, the boys. Moses was one of those boys, and, and Mo Moses' parents hid, them, uh, hid him as long as they could, and then he got bigger, and it was going to be impossible to hide him. And so by faith, they placed him in a little raft on the, on the river, on the Nile River, and he floats down, and he's picked up by Pharaoh's daughter, and he's taken into the home of Pharaoh, and he's raised in the palace of Pharaoh. And that's where we pick up the narrative from the Bible in Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. And it says this. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Egyptian, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Moses screwed up. Moses screwed up. Now, just to be clear, what the, what the Egyptian was doing to the Hebrew slave was absolutely wrong, but that didn't make what Moses did right. Moses kills a man in his anger. 
Now, actually, Moses had something right in that. I believe he understood that he was God's chosen instrument to fulfill the, the deliverance of the Israelite people to, to bring them out of slavery. I believe he understood what his calling was, but he went about it all the wrong way. This is a major failure in Moses' life. And, and the very people he felt like God had created him to deliver, he has to leave them behind and flee for his life. Let's just pause in this narrative for a moment. Let's just reflect on our own lives because I think the failure of Moses can so very clearly reflect how we deal with our own failures. And I've got a few questions for you. First of all, what mistakes or failures in your life is keeping you from being used by God? Do you believe that you've committed a sin that... that, 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 that do you believe that? you from God being, uh, God uh, using you? Do you believe that? Because I got to tell you, Moses murdered a person. Moses was a murderer, and yet God allowed him to be used. Do you believe that you've done the same sin over and over and over, and you committed that sin too many times for God to use you? Can I tell you that we, we, we worship a God who, who does not run out of forgiveness? In fact, he told us, each other, he said, one of his disciples asked, how many times should I forgive my brother? And seven times, and Jesus said, not seven times, but seven times, 70 times, 490 times. And he didn't mean 490 times. He meant as many times as it takes. And so if our God says we ought to forgive each other as many times as it takes, don't you think he's the God that will forgive us as many times as it takes? I do. Do you believe that you've wasted too many years of your life and, and, and it's just too far gone? You're too far down the road for God to use you? Can I tell you that Moses, when he got his big assignment, was 80 years old? 80. If you're over 80, come talk to me. If you're under 80, you're still in the game. If, you're, if you ain't dead, you're not done, okay? You're not done. Let me just ask you, do you carry around guilt of the things you wish you did and should have did, or do you believe that God isn't through with you yet? What failure, what, 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 uh, what, what thing in your past is preventing you from trusting God in the future? Here's what I know, guys. Failure is not final unless we let it be. Failure isn't final. If we know anything from the story of Moses, it's this, that God uses people who fail. I want you to hear me clearly. God uses people who fail because it's his only choice, right? <laughs> but there is a but to it. God uses people who fail, but, and I want you to hear this loud and clear, but they are people who are willing to change. God will use anybody who fails, who's screwed up, who's messed up, who's been in the wrong place, down the wrong path, but they said, God, would you help me change? Let me just ask you, how do you view change? For some of us, change is a scary word. If you think change is a bad thing, you know what you'll do? Is you'll resist it. And if you think change is just something that's inevitable in your life, you'll endure it. But if you and I view change as something that's a good thing, we'll embrace it. 
knowing that God uses uh, things in our lives to change us for his purposes and changes us for his glory. You know how we grow in every area of our lives? We try something and we fail and we change our approach and we try it again. And that's what successful people do. Little babies know this. When your little baby's learning how to walk, how do they do it? They get up and they fall and then they change their approach. And then they take a step and they fall and they realize they're leaning too far back because they keep falling on the bottom. So then they start leaning forward and they try again and they change and they try again until they get it right. How many of you have gone water skiing before in your life? How many of you are good at water skiing? Keep your hands up. Me either. <laughs> I'm bad. But I can tell you this. I tell you, there's always lots of coaches on the boat. Have you ever noticed that? There's a whole lot of people that can coach you from the boat. And I finally just said, I don't have any balance. Can I get on the boat now? But I tried and I drank a lot of lake water trying to be a skier. Because this is how you learn. You try and you fail and you change and you try again. Any time you take on a new job or a new role, listen, you've got to adjust. There's a learning curve, and you're not going to get it right the first time. And so we've got to give ourselves some grace. But what we can't do is stop trying. We keep trying, and we change, and we try again. You know, when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's the same thing. When you and I are trying to follow Jesus, guess what's going to happen? We're going to fail. We're going to fall short. And we got a choice. If we can lay down on that road or we can give God, we learn to get it right over repetition and failure and trial and doing it again and again. It's worth getting up and shaking the dust off of us and saying, Jesus, you're worth following. Even if I fall every single day, I'm going to keep following you. You're worth following. So Moses screws up. And while he screws up, I want you to understand that his, in, in a sense, his heart was in the right place. I want you to see that Moses was, was brought into, into a beautiful situation. He was raised in the palace of Pharaoh, and he could have easily said, you know what? I like it here. Forget those Israelites. I'm one of you now. But he didn't do that. And in the Hall of Fame of, of biblical heroes and from Hebrews chapter 11, it says this about Moses. And it says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He said, that's not who I am. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Moses had something right, didn't he? Moses didn't choose the easy way because you know what? When you and I choose the easy way, it never causes us to change. It'll never force us to change. It'll never even ask you to change. Moses had the right heart and he ended up taking the right path and identified with the people of God. And he was willing to fail in his role and finally get it right. Listen, let me just say, if your spouse or your boss or your... Uh, your parents are asking you to change. You have to discern, is that, is that really a good change? Do I need to listen to them? Do I need to take their advice? But when God Almighty asks you to change and asks me to change, we can be 100% sure that what he's asking us to do is the right change, and we can trust him. That he has our best interests in mind, and he's trying to conform us in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. 
And so if it's true, God uses people who fail but, but are willing to change. Let's just look at three ways I believe God wants to change every single one of us. And we'll take the way God wants to change us. First of all is, uh, it says this, Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters. Remember, that's where Moses ended up in Midian. And they came to draw water and to fill the troughs of water for their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses, remember he was sitting by a well? Moses got up and came to the rescue and watered the flock. I want you to know Midian was not like a great place to end up. Moses went to the most backwoods, backwater place on the planet. The Midians were people who were nomads. They roamed the Sinai Desert. They were, they were not the most desirable people to be a part of. And so we see Moses at this well, and he's, he, he's doing what he always does. We see him defending the cause of the weak and the, and the mistreated. And, and we just know but from the scene we saw in Egypt and the scene we see here that that's just kind of a part of who Moses is. There's something in Moses that he has a passion to help the, the mistreated and the downtrodden. But this time, it turns out differently, doesn't it? This time, no one ends up getting killed. This time, Moses still has the same passion to help the misfortunate, but he doesn't let his emotions and he doesn't let his temper get the best of him, and he handles it in a way where he shows restraint by the grace of God, and he does it the right way this time. To make this change in his life, I just want you to notice that God had to take Moses out of the palace of Egypt and bring him to the desert of Sinai to get his attention. And if you're going through a desert, I want you to know that sometimes there's a reason for that. God's got you in the desert because he's intent on changing fundamentally how you view life and who you are. See, it's in the desert where God changes us. I also want you to notice, God doesn't take away Moses' strengths, though. He's this guy who defends the cause of, of the weak. He's the one who, who seeks justice. I want to quench that in you, uh, but I do want to shore up your weaknesses and not enslave you to your temper and your emotions anymore. See, God uses those who fail but are willing to change. But to change, we have to be honest about ourselves, admit our faults, and ask God to help, right? So here's how God wants to change us. God wants to use your strengths and to work on your shortcomings. God wants to use your strengths and shore up your shortcomings. And so I don't know what my strengths are. We have, a, we have an assessment you can do. It's called the place assessment on the tables between these two doors. It's instructions how anyone in our church can take a free assessment about your gifts and your personality and your, your passions and your abilities because I believe the most, the most untapped strength and resource in the kingdom of God is the people of not God not being unleashed to do what God's called them to do. We want to help you unleash that in you. And so you want to know what your strengths are. God wants to use your strengths. We want to help you find out what those are. We want to help you use them. He also wants to shore up your shortcomings. And so how do I know what those are? Man, you just ask somebody. <laughs> they are all too willing to tell you if you've ever tried. If you dare, ask somebody. All right, so every year the elder team here, I'm accountable to the elders uh, they give me an annual review about this time of year, and uh, haven't had it yet this year, but, 
But for years, they've sat me down and said, hey, Rod, you're, you're, you struggle with, you know, communicating to everybody in a timely fashion, and you struggle with, you know, paperwork and administration and doing those things. And year after year, they'd be right at the top. Don't smile. Uh, right at one of my former elders would smile at me. Uh, he's right at the top of the list. Like, this is something that you're not very good at. And I'm like, I know. I'll try to do better. And I worked on it. I am getting better at it. But I'll tell you one thing. One year, they finally came to me and said, we're sorry. I appreciate that something you're really bad at doing. <laughs> and I said, I appreciate that. And uh, we hired a part-time guy, Corey, he's our executive pastor. He helps with a lot of things I'm really not good at. I'm so thankful for that. Thank you for the privilege of having him on staff. They also told me something. They said, Rod, when, uh, when, when, when someone disagrees with you and they try to call you out on something and, and you have a conflict with someone, you get defensive right away. And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> I said, go. <laughs> and I took it to heart. Took it to heart. And I think I'm making progress in that one too. See, God wants to use our strengths, but he definitely wants to shore up our shortcomings. I've asked my wife, man, what's something I could do? And she's been sweet about it, but she said, you could be a better listener. And I'm still not a great listener. But I'm working on being a better listener and giving her my undivided attention when she needs it. And I do that because she wants it. I do it because I want it. But most of all, I do it because that's who God wants me to become. As someone available and accessible and, and interested and intimate with my wife. That's a change I need to make to be more like Jesus Christ. So... What are the strengths God wants to unleash in your life and what are the weaknesses he wants to shore up in your life? Second change, let's look. Go back to Moses <clears throat> and just to set the scene. So G Moses rescues these seven daughters and, and the father of those seven daughters invites Moses into his home to kind of be a part of what he's doing. And, uh, and it says this in verse 21, Moses agreed to stay with a man, his name was Rule, stay with a man who gave his daughter Sephora to Moses in marriage. Zephora gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Now, we're not sure how quickly this happened, where Moses went from the guy at the well to hanging out in their house to getting married to the daughter. But if I know dads like I know being a dad, that didn't happen overnight. There was a vetting process. Rule was sitting there with a knife, sharpening that bad boy. Tell me about yourself, Moses. What's your goals in life, man? But I want to read what a commentator has to say about how this, how this speaks to how was willing to give himself and what his character was like in this moment in his life. It says that Rule was willing to give him one of his daughters indicates that he had proven himself as a faithful servant in the priest household and was felt to deserve a reward. See, God was doing something in Moses and changing something about his perspective and character. And it was something where a father could say, you know what, I'm going to trust you with my daughter because I like what I see in you. I also want you to notice what Moses names 
his kids. And so he names his first kid Gershon. And, and, when, and when people name things in the Bible, sometimes it has to do with something about that child and what that child's going to do. And, and a lot of times it shows kind of the heart of the parent and what's kind of going on inside the heart of the parent as they name the child. And so Moses names his first child Gershom, what sounds like the Hebrew word for foreigner there. And Moses is sort of fixated and dwelling on the idea that he's not where he had grown up and he's a, he's a foreigner and he's, he's not in Egypt and he's not with the people he's identified with. Maybe having a little pity party, certainly not in a good place. But then you fast forward to when he has a second child and he names his second child Eliezer. And Eliezer means, my God helps in fact, Moses explains this later in Exodus 18. He says, he says, I named him Eliezer because my God, my father's God was my helper and he saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Can you hear the difference of those two names and the two attitudes that Moses had? The first attitude was God has kicked me out of where I should be and I'm living as a foreigner. And the second attitude is God rescued me from the hand of, of the person I was in peril and he delivered me and I'm in this place because God God is my deliverer. And Moses has a complete change of attitude where once he was discouraged and depressed because he was no longer prince and now he's a shepherd and he goes from the civilization of Egypt to the backwoods of Midian, his attitude changes and he sees the fingerprints of God in his life. And he recognizes that even the hard times that he's going through, uh, he notices that God is at work and there's purpose in it, that God has not abandoned him, that God has been orchestrating his plan from the very beginning. And there's a change that God wanted to make in Moses' life that I believe he needs to make in our lives, and it's simply this, that God wants to change our perspective from God is against me to God is for me. That God is against me. No, no, no. That God is a for me. The first attitude is consumed with the problem. The second attitude is consumed with the problem solver. And the first problem is fi the first attitude's fixated on what's wrong, and the second attitude is fixated on the one who can make things right. Can I ask you this morning is where is your thoughts? Where does your mind drift? What is the focus mentally in your life? Are you fixated on the problems? Are you fixated on the problem solver? What's going on in your head? Can you approach each day, start every day knowing, listen, in Christ Jesus, being a follower of Christ and being forgiven by him and him being the Lord of my life, that means something very definitive, that there's a God in heaven who's with me and he most certainly is for me, not against me. And any other thought is a lie and contrary to the will of God. Even in the desert, your God is working for you. God wants us to use our strengths. He wants to work on our weaknesses. He wants to change our perspective from God is against me to God is for me. Let's see what else happens to Moses. And it says this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Moses has had a complete shift here. He is, he's changed his identification. And the reason I can say that is that in Egypt, the most hated job in the planet, worse than a sanitation worker, worse than anything you can wrap your head around in our culture, they would have been shepherd. 
It was the lowest of the lowest of the low. And if you're no self-respecting Egyptian would ever be a shepherd. And you know what Moses says? He says, I'm not an Egyptian anymore. And he takes on the role of a shepherd because he's got a new identification. It's a complete change. You'd be like someone who's, who's a rabid bulldog. And you're like, you know what? It's been a good ride, but I just feel, I, my heart is just, I want to be a yellow jacket. <laughs> Said no one ever. I get it. All right. Said no one ever. But you get my point, right? He has a complete change of heart. I also want you to notice Moses doesn't have his own flock. Did you catch that? He's tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. Moses doesn't have much. Bling is not his thing, okay? He doesn't have wealth. He doesn't have security. He doesn't have his own flock even. He's just taking care of the flock of his father-in-law, and he's at a very humble place of service in his life. For a prince, it was a necessary thing. As God changes Moses' His whole heart, it was absolutely necessary. And here's what I think God wants to do in every one of us. He did in Moses. God wants to change our reliance on ourself to a reliance on him. It's a shift he wants to make in every single one of our lives. Well, we don't work and, and operate under our own giftedness and our own abilities and our own knowledge and our own experience and what I can bring to the table and how good I'm at something. He doesn't want us to rely on those things. He will rip those down until he gets us to the place where I'm not relying on myself. I'm relying on the one who's got all power and ability and I work and I act and I move through his power. That's where he wants us. See, God uses people who fail but are willing to change. So when Moses comes back to Egypt, which we're going to get to in this series, he's not this hot shot prince who's got all the answers. No, no, no. He is a humble and contrite shepherd who's learned how to shepherd God's people. God's got him right where he wants him because he learns to rely on God. See, that's what our week of prayer was all about. That's why we just spent a whole week, hours and hours, praying as a church. Why? Because we don't have the answer God does. We're not the solution. God is. We don't have a power to change our own lives, let alone this community, but God does. And so as we humble ourselves in prayer as a church and as a people, and by the way, 7 to 9 every Thursday morning, we'll be here praying because we need to depend ourselves on God all the time, that we are people declaring to God through prayer, God, it's by your power that all things can be accomplished for your glory. That's why we pray. We know that it's only God who can make us useful. So let me just ask you, are you the answer or is God the answer? Moses spent 40 years in the desert so he could get to the point where he said, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about how good I am or what position I have or my abilities. God, it's about you. He spends 40 years for God to change him. So when he goes back, he's rich. In fact, I think he loves using those people. 
So once or twice a year, I volunteer to help out with a North American Mission Board. They have an assessment process for church planters. I know a little bit about church planting. And so they invite me to come and be part of this assessment team. And so the last one we did, I was sitting at a table with several church planters. And two of them were looking at Jackson County to be the place that they were going to come and plant a church. And I thought, okay, that's interesting, God. I'm glad you put me here. And they have to give their little vision talk, their little sales speech about what they're going to do and why God's calling them to Jackson County. And so they're both talking about, you know, Jackson County really needs some Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, disciple-making churches up there in Jackson County. I just kind of smiled because they didn't know I pastored in Jackson County. And I'm over 50, and I don't really care what people think about me, and so I told them. Hey, guess what? I'm a pastor up in Jackson County. It's going to be awesome to have you guys up here. And while I had a little fun at their expense, you know what the Lord struck me with? This is so honest, the truth. Even gospel preaching. Years ago, you know what I was telling people? Man, I got to go up to Jackson County because it needs a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, disciple-making church. And there's, there are already ones up here. You know that, right? You know what I've learned in 16 years of pastoring right here? Is I'm not the answer. He is. Jackson County doesn't need Rods Wimpke. They need Jesus. Jackson County doesn't need Crossroads Church. They need Jesus. They don't need a church building sitting in this spot. What they need is an encounter with the living God, and his name is Jesus. That's what the people of this community are starved for. And with that attitude, guys, if we'll all take that attitude where we don't rely on us, but we rely on him, I believe God's going to radically transform our community as we and the other churches in our community get on mission for Jesus Christ. That's what I believe. So let me just ask you a couple questions. Do you believe God wants to use you? You can't, no one can answer that for you. Do you believe God wants to use you? You know how you answer that question? It isn't verbally. It is if you are serving, if you're getting involved, if you're helping others. You answer it by your actions. And if you believe God wants to use you, then let him use you. We're going to invite you to be a part of our ministry teams at Crossroads through this series. Say, go ahead. Go ahead and say, God, wherever you want to use me, use me. I want you to use me. I believe you're going to use me. Or maybe you're serving, but you, you feel like there might be something else, might be something more. God wants you in a larger way and a greater capacity used for his kingdom purposes, but you're scared and you're limiting God and you need to say, hey, God, you know what? I believe you can use me as long as I say it's teachable and moldable in the hands of the potter. I'll be the soft clay and you use me for whatever purpose you have for me. Use me. Maybe that's your prayer this morning. One more question. Does God have an open invitation to change your life however he sees fit? Can I challenge you to be open however he wants to change you? Don't resist his work. 
Don't resist the prompting of the Holy Spirit to let God transform you in the image of his son, Jesus Christ, that you and I can just just be willing uh, participants in the changes that Jesus wants to make in your life and trust God that he can make them, that the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you and he's the change agent in your life and there's no thing that can prevent you from changing as as long as you let the God of heaven change you. No force is greater than that. And let me just say, any change like that begins by entering a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's where change starts. See, I want you to know something, that that the good news of the the gospel message that, that Jesus brought wasn't, hey, when you change your life and you get your act together and you get things straightened out, then I'll come into your life and then you can have a relationship with God and then you can be at peace with God. That's not how it works. The good news is that when you were stuck in your failures and frustrations and had no way out, the God of heaven loved you and he said, I'm going to come and I'm going to meet you in your mess. I'm not going to ask you to change a thing about yourself. Just be willing to let me change you. And Jesus said, I'll come into your life and I'll forgive you of your sins and I'll begin to change you from the inside out because I love you. And because I love you so much, I won't leave you where you're at and I'll begin to change you for the rest of your life into the image of Jesus. Be look, look just like me. Have you done that? Have you surrendered your life to Christ and say, Jesus, you can have me and you can, I ask you to forgive me and Lord, I'm asking for you to change me. Let's pray together. So Lord, we're going to make that our prayer this morning. God, that you'll meet me right where I am. And this morning, if the right where I am is that you don't have a relationship with Christ, you've never acknowledged that you're a a sinful person before a holy God and that you need the forgiveness that Jesus offers. You've never placed your faith on what he did upon a cross bearing the weight of your sin and believing that he rose from the dead to give you life. There is no amount of resolutions or habits that's gonna change you from the inside out. It starts with Jesus. And because God loves you, he wants to step into your life if you'll let him. So for all who are willing to invite Jesus in this morning, would you simply pray with me to God, not, not to anyone else, just between you and your God. Say, God, will you meet me right where I am today? because I'm not where I wanna be. But today I believe in the power of Jesus to forgive me. I believe in the power of Jesus to give me a new life. Today I believe in the power of Jesus to begin to change me from the inside out. And Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done and I'm asking for your leadership in my life and to save me from my sins. Jesus, come on in. guess what? He did. Praise God. 
Father, I want to pray for the people who have believed a lie that their failures have eliminated them from being useful to you. I want to pray for those who've carried guilt and shame around and it's been weighing them down and they feel like they're not good enough to be all that you've created them to be. Well, Lord, would you remove those lies from their spirit today and they say, I'm going to walk out of this place not carrying that garbage anymore and I am a beautiful creation in Christ Jesus and because I'm willing to change and let God work in me, you're going to use me like you've never used me before. Father, I want to pray for the person who said, I'm struggling to change. And I've tried everything else. I'm sick of where I'm at. And I need your help. Make this your desperate prayer. Jesus, help me. Would you change me? Would you give me a new spirit? A new desire to follow you a new hope that you can change my life. God, I thank you that you're the one that changes us. You're a beautiful God and we worship you now. Thank you for all that you've done in your son. Jesus' name we pray, amen.